Isaiah chapter 38 as we get to study some pretty cool things tonight. In one sense, learning to appreciate life, but then learning really a lot of things, learning in life to appreciate life. We're going to learn from Hezekiah because if you've gone through the scriptures with us and you've read maybe even the Kings and the Chronicles, you might think that Hezekiah was a perfect guy, but he wasn't. And in one sense, it's kind of good that we get to read the Bible and we get to see not just, you know, the perfection of man, because that would probably discourage us because we fail so frequently, but we get to see also their mistakes and their warts and their flaws. And in one sense, it shows us our hope for us. But really, ultimately, I think the main thing is just how good God is, how awesome God is, how amazing his grace is in our life. And so let me pray with you guys, and then we'll get into the word. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for tonight. I thank you, Lord, that we find ourselves here at this juncture of life and just asking for forgiveness, Lord, of my sins. Uh, they'll probably, I know there'll never be a day will I ever be worthy or will ever be able. But Lord, tonight we come asking that you, the living God, maker and maintainer of the universe, would speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would take your word and plant it within us, Lord, that we would not sin against you, that we would grow. And Lord, that you'd minister to everyone here. I know we're all going through trials, Lord, and um, we need you. We just need your touch. We need your teaching. We need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, Lord. Again, lifting up my sister Kelly, Lord, in such a place. Father, please, uh, Lord, bring her a uh, full circle. Lord, touch her like never before, Father God, and give wisdom to those who are tending to her divine, impeccable wisdom from above. And I pray for all our loved ones going through trials that are sick and suffering. Father, you know the details and may you minister to them. We love you and thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Isaiah 38, let me begin with a question. What do you think the most effective way to appreciate life would be? Like, How could we get a person to really, really appreciate life? And although there's probably no authoritative answer, I have a hunch it's kind of like that saying goes, you don't really appreciate or realize what you have until it's gone, right? And so that's where we're going to see Hezekiah was. He was pretty much there at death's door. They thought he was done. And we're going to learn from that experience. Warren Worsby said, difficult experiences should give us a new appreciation for life and a new desire to live for the Lord. And so uh, Pastor Henry was talking about Greg's experience. I'm sure some of you have also had experiences. Uh, it could be something as simple as maybe you almost got hit by a car. Um, I'm sure some of you here have experienced uh, near-death uh, things. Um, Psalm 68:20 it says, Our God is the God of salvation, and to God the Lord belong escapes from death. And so have you ever had a close call? Any of you here ever had a close call? Those close calls are actually intended to draw you closer to God. And we're going to see that today. If you ever find yourself at death's door, uh, I'll bet you'll appreciate life more. And we need that. We need to have that in our heart. I mean, what would you do? I wonder. I, I, sometimes I even think that to myself. What if God told me that I was about to die? Um, would I be torn or would I... 
you know, mourn. But wait a minute, time out. Isn't that why we were born again, to be home? And so it's a funny thing. We're going to see this, how it works and in the humanity of Hezekiah. And who knows, uh, one day, if we're there, I think we might be able to relate to this. And so Isaiah 38 is a close call, and then Isaiah 39 is a massive mistake. And we get to learn from these guys. And so look at what we read in verse 1 of Isaiah 38. It says, In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Hezekiah, Isaiah said, you're, you're going to die from this illness, so set your affairs in order. Make sure you have sufficient life insurance. Uh, say whatever you need to say to whomever you need to say it. Give instructions to your household, which is your family, because you are about to die. Now, now, in all reality, none of us have tomorrow guaranteed. And so I will say this, and to me, I mean, it's true. I need to get my house in order. I really do. I need to make sure that my wife is taken care of if God were to call me home. I need to say what I, I need to say to my son and my daughter and whoever it is, because we should have that aspect, you know. We should really be ready to die, because until we're really ready to die, we're not really ready to live. And so in one sense, this is good stuff for us to know, um, you know, to have our house in order. But, but what would I do today if I heard those words, Manny, you're about to die? Well, I guess it probably depends on the circumstances. Um, I don't want to sound weird or anything, but it, I, I was just thinking, if I was 99 years old and the family is solid, the ministry is as well. If I'm living in perhaps perpetual pain and my body is broken, I tell you what, I'd probably throw a party and say, yes, you know, I'm going home. You know, I'm happy when it's time for that. Uh, I, I remember uh, talking to one pastor, he goes, different denomination, and everyone's different, don't get me wrong, but in their funerals, there's nothing but upbeat celebratory songs because they're so happy that this individual, if they're a Christian, has gone home to be with the Lord. And so, you know, I, I don't know, I, I guess under certain circumstances, perhaps um, I, I'd be there and full on. But, you know, I, we're all, it's all, everyone's different. And, and I will say this, Hezekiah at this time was probably only around 39 years old. Now, 39 is, is young, right? Some of you guys are saying, no, that's old. No, 39 is, is definitely young as far as I'm concerned. And when you look at the historical context of what's going on here, things were not well in the kingdom. Assyria, these ruthless terrorists, were uh, threatening uh, the southern kingdom of Judah big time. And so it just didn't seem like the right time to die. And so if you were there, and I'll bet you almost anything, it doesn't matter how old you are, because God can use you at any age, right? I'll bet you if you were there, you would do the same thing that Hezekiah did. Number one, he prayed. And number two, he cried. Look at what we read in verse two. It says, and then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, remember now, O Lord, I pray. How I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And, and, and the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, Go and tell Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Surely I will add to your days 
15 years. And so um, we believe that Hezekiah died around 686 BC, and you're going to probably see different things, but I, I was doing some research. More than likely, this illness was probably around 701 BC. And when Hezekiah found out that he was going to die, he was bummed, he was bitter. It made no sense to him. And so he did his best. I mean, he's thinking, Lord, I've, I've done my best to follow you all my life. And not just the walk, but the talk, and then even the heart. My heart has been loyal to you. And so there he is. He's facing death. And then we find him facing the wall. There's something about that that you're kind of thinking, okay, Hezekiah doesn't want to look at Isaiah right now, you know? Um, he, he wept bitterly. Now, when you read Second uh, Kings 18, Second Chronicles 32, you have the same account. And there it says that when Isaiah comes in, gives him the news, he leaves. And then what ends up happening is Hezekiah prays. And before he's halfway um, you know, in the king's uh, uh, garden, before he's far, the Lord comes right away to Isaiah and tells him to go back and let Hezekiah know that he's going to have an extension, 15 more years of life. And so you look at that, and there's questions. Uh, we don't have the answers, really, to be honest with you, but how, well, that doesn't make any sense. God just told him that he was going to die, and now he says he's got 15 more years. Question, did God change his mind? And some say yes. Some say no, it was all, everything about it was all part of God's plan. So some say yes, some say no, some say yes and no. I don't know, that's all I can tell you. I don't know for sure how it works. I will say this, God answers prayer. I will say that. Now, does he always, you know, you know spare our loved ones? Of course not, of course not. But sometimes he does. All I know is prayer makes a difference. You know, when you think about the Bible, there are so many stories we could talk about. Remember when God told Moses, I'm going to wipe out this nation because they deserve to be wiped out. And Moses just fell on his face and he prayed, no, God, it's not going to honor you. The nations will think that you're not strong enough. So Moses prayed, he interceded, God didn't wipe him out. God spoke through Jonah, told not just, you know, believers, but non-believers, hey, you're going to get wiped out, uh, the, the city of Nineveh. Uh, and Jonah didn't really preach an eloquent sermon. He says, hey, you guys are about to get, you know, you know, zapped by God. And then God changed his mind, so to speak. And God showed mercy to them. You know, prayer makes a difference. James 4.2 says sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. Isaiah 37.21, speaking even of Hezekiah, said because you prayed, God would send an angel and 185,000 Assyrian soldiers would be wiped out. What are you facing today? What is your mountain that needs to be moved? I'll tell you what, I have some and it's been tough. It's been tough. Over the years, it's been tough. But, you know, I'm not saying that God always answers yes, but um, a lot of times he does. And so we need to learn from this, I think, the importance of prayer. That's one thing I think that we can learn. And even from the humanity of Hezekiah, it's okay to want to live. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Paul the Apostle had the same heart. He wanted to live. Why? Because of his family, because of, you know, the ministry. Of course, we want to go home and be, 
in heaven. And I tell you guys this all the time. I tell you this all the time, but I mean it with all my heart. I cannot wait to go to a place where pizza is good for you. I'm serious, man, because I don't eat pizza that much anymore. I hardly ever do. And I'm like, man, one day, Lord, you know, but I mean, yeah, I want to go to heaven. Yeah, I want to I want to see my Lord. I want to fly like Superman. I want to be able to get into Disneyland free. I want to go to heaven big time, man. But Paul said there in Philippians chapter one, right now I need to stay here because it's more needful for you. And he knew he was confident that God was going to grant him that. So don't think there's anything wrong in that you want to live. It's just the natural response. And so, you know, we pray for our loved ones. We can even pray for ourselves, but just understand that it's all in, in God's hands. And so Isaiah goes back. Look again at verse 5. Go and tell Hezekiah, thus says the Lord God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will add to your days 15 years. And I like that, you know, because... I don't know. There might be someone here tonight who weeps at night. There might be some here tonight who are really, really hurting, getting hit hard by life or by the enemy. And doesn't that encourage you to know that because you're a child of God, that you are heard by God and that he sees every single tear you cry. That's important for us to know who we are and who God is and just the type of God that he is. The Bible says in Psalm 56, 8, you number my wanderings and you put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? Think about that. God captures every single tear. They're what I call liquid prayers. And God says, I want you to know that I see that. I pray that brings comfort to your hearts. Remember when the Lord uh, rescued Israel from Egypt. They were there in the, in the oven, so to speak. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry and because of their taskmasters and I know their sorrows. And so the Lord tells Isaiah, go and tell Hezekiah he has a 15-year extension. And it wasn't just for Hezekiah and his family it was actually, there was a bigger picture. It was actually for the people as well, for the nation, the capital there of Jerusalem. They needed his leadership. And so this, what we're reading about, actually happens prior to the chapters that we read earlier. And, and so look what it says in verse 6. God says, I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. And that's part of the reason that God allowed Hezekiah to live longer is because of the fact that God would use him and God would teach him and God would really, in such an awesome way, protect the, the, the city of Jerusalem. You know, our, our life, understand, is in, in, in God's hands. And he has a race for us to run. There's a mission that we were actually, I believe, you know, formed within our mother's womb to accomplish. And, you know, it's all part of the plan. And so we pray and God answers. And it's a mysterious thing. But I pray we would actually learn from this. And so uh, I don't know what you're facing tonight. I don't know what you're going to face tomorrow. Um, I, I pray you would know that we serve an awesome God. 
As a matter of fact, I think the next part of this right here, it sends a really important message because look what it says in verse 7, and this is a sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing which he has spoken. Behold, I will bring the shadow on the sundial which has gone down with the sun on the sundial of Ahaz 10 degrees backward. And so the sun returned 10 degrees on the dial by which it had gone down. And so later in verse 22, um, again, Isaiah tells Hezekiah, hey, you got 15 extra years. And Hezekiah's like, well, give me a sign. Show, show me a sign that it's really going to happen. And so, you know, they're going to go back and forth. And eventually Isaiah says, okay, this is what God's going to do. He's going to send the sundial uh, back 10 degrees and really, I mean, probably the way that it happened, um, some people will say, well, maybe it's just a shadow or whatever. God moved the sun. More than likely, what God did is God took planet Earth, which, travel, which spins at a thousand miles per hour, and he took it, and then he's going this way, and he just grabs it real quick, and he goes that way. Okay, now some people will say, oh, scientists will say, geologists will say, astronomers will say, oh, that can't, you can't have, that can't happen. But it's because they don't believe in God. If you can get past Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then you can get to that. And, and what, we're, what, I'm, what I'm learning, what I'm, what I'm seeing, is that this God that we serve, that we love, who loves us, who hears our prayers and sees our tears, this is the same God that can take the whole wide world and turn it any way that he desires. And, and do you, does, has that registered in your heart yet? Because when it does, it, it just brings peace. It, it really does. Like, Lord, there's nothing too hard for you, huh? In this situation that I'm facing, I don't see any way out. All I see, Lord, is like defeat. Or all I see, Lord, is not, not good in whatever it is that you're facing. And God is saying in Romans 8, 28, no, I'm the God who can take the world and it's traveling at a thousand miles per hour and stop it and turn it any which way that I want. Uh, that's who I am. And like we were singing today, and I'm for you. I'm for you. And the difficulties that you go through, because he's got this boil and he's got this pain. And it's like, why would you even allow that to happen at all? So that I can deliver you and show you who I am. And so for us, um, Hezekiah asked for this confirmation and God does it in this spectacular way. And so notice the, the psalm, basically, in verse 9, that Hezekiah then writes. He says, this is the writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, when he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. And so it's kind of like a psalm. And he, in verse 10, I said, in the prime of my life, I shall go to the gates of Sheol. The, the, the dead, or, or where there's the grave. I'm going to die in the prime of my life. I am deprived. I'm robbed of the remainder of my years. I said, I shall not see Yah, the Lord, in the land of the living. I shall observe man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My lifespan is gone, taken from me like a shepherd's tent. I have cut off my life like a weaver, and he cuts me off from the loom from one day until night you make an end of me. And so from day until night means that it was just suddenly, 
Suddenly, my life was over. That's what he's kind of saying right there. And, and you know, he's writing about this. He's writing about his difficulty, and he's going to write about his deliverance. You know, the prime of my life. What's the prime of your life? How many of you guys think the prime of your life is in your 20s? Those of you who are 20 might say that. 30s, 30s, 40s. I want to say 40s, 40s, yeah. 50s. I mean, this is wherever, however old you are, right? <laughs> in one sense. I mean, I mean, if you think about it, the, the longer you live and the more you like learn the Bible and you're seeking God, it's almost like the greater the wisdom gets and hopefully you have a little bit of health and physical stuff, but then you're realizing that's not really as important as I thought it was. I don't know. All I know is, you know, Hezekiah is 39. He's definitely thinking he's too young. And I've seen it happen many times. I remember my wife's uh, cousin, Eli, this guy, bigger than life, larger than life, one of the most amazing men you've ever met. He just had a little girl. She wasn't even one. She's about to turn one. And he's there. He's working construction. He's digging a hole. He's in the hole. And the hole collapses on him. This is an amazing, amazing man, Eli. And in the prime of his life, Lord, I don't understand. It happens, though. Thinking of Jim Elliott, I think he was 29. Thinking of my, my, my brother Joey, um, Johnny, all these guys, Jose, so many that we can name. And we can say, Lord, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, they were far too young. Thinking of John, Henry had mentioned him earlier, the, the brother of James. These guys were young at that time. Thinking of Stephen, thinking of Jesus. So young. This is what Hezekiah is saying. Lord, I was in the prime of my life. I think of Nadine. So many. In the moment, it makes no sense. And Hezekiah is writing this, and he says, Lord, I was there at death's door. Now, it's interesting. There's a lot here, but there's three things that kind of stand out that maybe we can see as, uh, I don't know, little representatives of, of, of death. Number one are the gates that he writes about. And so there's the gates um, that, you know, you're going from, from this time you know, on earth to heaven. And that's a beautiful thing when you consider that entrance into heaven, right? And then the other thing he mentions is a tent. Did you guys know that, that our bodies are described as tents? And uh, this is not really me, it's the inside. That's really what matters most. And there's a soul in there. And, uh, and so one day the, t- the tent goes down, right? And uh, then we get the new body. And then he also mentions right here the loom. And I like that one because what that is is the, 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 the thread and the, the yarn and they're all weaving everything and they're making this beautiful, whatever, embroidery or blanket or some sort. And you look at the backside and it doesn't seem to make any sense. But then when you flip it over, it's just amazing. And that's what our life is. Our life is weaving this amazing message, this amazing masterpiece, uh, this work of art that God is doing. And right here, Hezekiah is saying, and I'm right in the middle of this, and I felt like they cut out the material and they just took me away. And so that's where he was at. In in verse 19, he says, in verse 13, I have considered uh, until morning, or basically I waited patiently all night, like a lion, so he breaks all my bones from day until night. I was torn apart, though, as though by lion. Suddenly, he's saying my life was about to end, like a, a crane or a swallow, so I shattered. And so there you can visualize him almost like um, in the, with chills. I, I mourned like a dove. My eyes fail from looking upward. Oh, Lord, I am oppressed. 
undertake for me. Lord, help me. This is where he was. And then verse 15, what shall I say? He has both spoken to me and he himself has done it. I shall walk carefully all my years in the, the bitterness of my soul. Now, Hezekiah, as he goes through this whole experience, so close to death and yet spared, it was intended to be life-changing for him. It would be even more of a humble and powerful walk from this day forward after all the anguish he had experienced. That's the way it was intended to be. Now, when you read again Second Chronicles 20, and I mean Second Chronicles 32 and Second Kings 20, Hezekiah didn't do a perfect job. But this is, was the intention. And this is what he wrote right here. And so, um, verse 16, O Lord, by these things men live. And in all these things is the life of my spirit. So you will restore me and make me live. Indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness, but you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. I, mean, I think of the man who had a heart attack. He, he was spared, and then he went in and he had that, you know, those surgeries, man, heart surgery. Now you know he's he's doing well. Or the guy, who, the gal who, you know, survived cancer. I mean, there's just so many things that we can think of where you know we were there at, at perhaps death's door, and then and then God spared. Right here, the NLT, it says it a little bit more clearly. It says, Lord, your discipline is good, for it leads to life and health. And you restore my health, allow me to live. Yes, this anguish was good for me, for you have rescued me from death and forgiven all my sins. It says right here, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. How many of you think that's good news? Isn't that good news? Behind my back, where is it? I can't see it. God can't see it. And man, he's not like us. Now, it's interesting. Earlier, Hezekiah had mentioned, like, Lord, I don't deserve to, to die. My, his walk was right on. He was loyal to God. But deep, deep down inside, we all know, huh, that none of us are worthy to be spared, that we deserve to die. He, ultimately, Hezekiah knew, like you and I, that that's what we deserve in, in every case. But God showed grace and he put those sins in a place where even he could not see them. Imagine that. You are here, and when God looks at your life, because you place your faith in Jesus Christ, he sees no sin in your life. Now, how many of you can just say, that is so amazing? It's amazing, because I see my sins, and I'm sure I don't even see all of them, but I see enough, and it overwhelms me. And, you know, um, our family usually sees our sins pretty good. And then other people, you know, they see our sins pretty good. And the devil will remind us of our sins. He does that a lot. He's the accuser of the brethren. I like what one guy said. The next time the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Listen, God doesn't see your sins. I was tripping out the other day as I'm reading through the Bible, and every time I see this, I trip out because Israel was so bad, they're complaining and they're griping and they're mumbling and they're saying they want to get rid of Moses and go back to Egypt. They don't like the manna that God provided and this and that. And so many things, they failed God so many times, you know. And then when it was time for, you know, the king of Moab, he hires Balaam to curse the children of Israel you know, Balaam goes, and that's a story in and of itself, but Balaam goes and he looks at all the children of Israel 
and he can't curse them. He can't curse them because God has blessed them. And God says, whom I bless, you can't curse. And then when you're reading the story right there, it's amazing because when Balaam is looking at the people of Israel, it says in Numbers 23, 21, he has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord God is with him and the shout of a king is among them. Imagine that. The enemy tries to curse us, right? And God says, no, I won't let it happen and when we look at Israel, when we look at the children of God, he says, I don't see any sin. As a matter of fact, this is how grace works. Not only does it not, you know, we, we don't, I don't see no sin, God rewards us. As a matter of fact, there's going to be a king from this nation who will be the king of kings. And so what does he do? He takes our sins and he casts them behind his back. And I know that for me, it's very important for me to see what the Bible says because even though I don't feel it, I know it, that I'm forgiven, that I'm free, that I'm as white as snow, even though I know I fail God because of my faith in Christ. No, while we're on earth, right here, Hezekiah is praising God. You know, because of the fact that he spared him. You know, it's interesting when you read these verses and, um, uh, you know, Look again at verse, I will try to start in verse um, 18. For Sheol cannot thank you, death cannot praise you, those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth, the living the living man, he shall praise you as I do this day, the, the father shall make known your truth to the children. And so um, again, Hezekiah is praying, God, I want to live, I want to live, I want to live, because if I die, it's not the same. And so there's different views on this. Some people say, well, what that means is that the Old Testament saints didn't really have a clear understanding of heaven. But when you read the book of Job, which is probably the oldest book in the Bible, Job knew that when he died, he was going to see God. And so there, you know, I, I think that more what he's saying right here, how we know how, how death cannot praise you if I go down to the, the pit. You know, it's the living man. What, I think what he's saying right there is this, while we're here on planet Earth is the only time that we can praise God by faith. By faith. Because when we're in heaven, it'll be sight. We'll be able to see him. Well, of course we're going to praise him there in heaven. You read Revelation chapter 5. Man, they are praising God. But right here, we don't see him. But we see him with the eyes of our heart. And when you're praising God now by faith, I tell you what, there's something about that is special. You know, Hezekiah is just saying, Lord, you know, he's giving God reasons. Lord, I would like to live. And it's okay when you're praying, you share reasons. You, you, you know, you talk to God. I've seen it as I read through the Bible. Those are the effective prayers. And it's so cool when you're praying. This is what I've experienced, that you're talking to God and then he'll kind of tweak your prayers and then eventually what ends up happening is your prayers to just line up with his. It's a really, really beautiful thing when you begin to really discipline yourself and you spend that time in prayer. And something that's really interesting here at the end of verse 19, he says, the father shall make known your truth to the children. Lord, one of the reasons that I want to live is because I want to tell my children about you. And, and I'm a father, and I have, you know, a, a son, and Lord, let me do this. Now, this is really, 
an interesting thing, and I'm just going to say it to you guys. Isaiah, I mean, Hezekiah's father, he was not really that right on, Ahaz. He, he wasn't. He doubted God in Isaiah chapter 7 when God told him about the prophecy. And, you know, so he wasn't that great of a follower of Christ. Hezekiah was. But then later on, Hezekiah had a son named Manasseh. And you guys know Manasseh was the worst king of, of Judah they ever had. In 55 years, he reigned the longest. And, and so, you know, it's hard for us sometimes as parents because, you know, we're like, well, you know, I'm serving God and I'm trying my best to be an example to them and to pour into them and to tell them things. And does it always make it automatic? No, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're always going to serve the Lord. You guys know that, right? It's not a guarantee because they have to make that choice for themselves, Right? But I'll tell you what, doesn't change our responsibility as parents. We still have that responsibility. It's father's responsibility to make known this truth to our children. You know, Manasseh wasn't the only son uh, that um, Hezekiah had. And so God knows. But this is part of the reason that that we want to live, right? And so he says in verse 20, the Lord was ready to save me. Therefore, we will sing my songs with stringed instruments. How, how often? All the days of our life in the house of the Lord. And so one of the ways that you can tell someone is in tune with God is they are a worshiper of God. And so Isaiah had said, let them take a lump of figs and apply it as poultice on the boil and he shall recover and Hezekiah had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? And God had given them that sign with a sundial. And so these dried figs, there was a common treatment for boils and ulcers in those days. And it was actually uh, interesting the way it was used. Possibly, um, maybe he had some type of inflammation and in ulcer, um, but God medicinally used it to promote the healing. And so this is kind of cool because one of the things you'll see is that God uses medicine. God uses doctors, huh? But it's still God who gets all the glory because what do they do? They, they, they prayed about it. And so we learn from the humanity of Hezekiah. We learn through this close call that he had. And then in chapter 39, we learn from this massive mistake. And so, again, like I shared with you guys earlier, going up to this point, you're thinking Hezekiah is perfect. And then you realize, oh, he's not. Is there anyone perfect except for Jesus? No, no. Even though there's nothing bad about Joseph, homeboy had some bad things. Daniel, he did. Why? We know that because that's what the Bible says. There's only one perfect, and then one perfect person. And that's why it's so important that we fix our eyes on him, that we never, ever put men on a pedestal. Me, no one. We are all wretched, wicked, warped sinners. If you knew me, you wouldn't listen to me. And if I knew you, I wouldn't talk to you. So you know how that goes, right? But we are, we are all in love with the Lord. We keep our eyes on him because then you won't stumble. Hezekiah was a, he was a blessing, but he wasn't perfect. We see some of his uh, flaws. Look at verse uh, chapter 39 and verse 1. It says, And at that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah was pleased with them and showed them the house of his treasures, the silver and gold, the spices and precious ointment, and all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. 
There was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Now again, this is before Babylon has risen to power. More than likely, they went to Hezekiah, probably tried to form an alliance. You know, hey, can you let's gather together and let's see if we can defeat Assyria together. Um, but they find out that he's healed. They send letters. They come to visit him. And when they come and visit him, Hezekiah shows them everything. He shows them everything, the gold, the spices, the silver, the precious ointment. I mean, his armory, we're talking weapons, everything that was there, all the treasures, nothing that in his whole dominion that he didn't show them. And, uh, and so, you know, you, you read that and you're, well, what's the, what's the big deal? So we read in verse 3, and then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and he said to him, hey, what did these men say and, and from where did they come to you? And so Hezekiah said, they came to me from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, what have they seen in your house? And so Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. And then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, bummer, <laughs> hear the word of the Lord of hosts, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And so Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord, which he has spoken is good. For he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. And so, kind of a funny story, um, real quick. Uh, they, why did Hezekiah show them everything? Well, yeah, more than likely it was maybe a little bit of pride. Hey, man, check out, you know, this temple. Check out all this gold and check out all this silver and check out, you know, my treasures and my spices and and more than likely, most commentators believe it was motivated by, by pride. And so I'll tell you guys a little funny story. When uh, a long time ago, do you guys remember those things called CDs? You guys remember those things called CDs? <laughs> I remember when we first got started doing the studies and we would duplicate them on CDs. And we had these towers, man. And so you put the CD in there and they duplicate like whatever, 10 or 12 at a time. And I was just tripping out on these things because you put the CD in there, you push the button, and then they make the copy and then all of them open up at the same time, right? And then, you know, I was, I was telling the, 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 I was saying, hey, we should like make a video of this and show the whole congregation. Look at how awesome this is. And, and, then, and then someone told me, and I don't know if this is applicable or not, but they said, that's kind of like um, Hezekiah when he showed everybody all their, their stuff, you know? And are, are, you, are you proud of it? Or why you? And I'm, no, no, I'm not proud of it. I just want to show them. But yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> and, and so, I don't know. I was just thinking, I guess at the end of the day, only the Lord knows, like, the motive. Like, did they, was it really pride? There was a lack of discernment? I mean, it was not good. And I do know this, that when you read the scriptures, it's interesting. Second Chronicles 32, 31 says something really scary. It says that during this time when the Babylonians came, that God withdrew from Hezekiah in order to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. Imagine that. Now that is scary. That is scary. Lord, please don't ever do that to me where you would withdraw from me in order to show me what's in my heart but maybe maybe it is good 
Because we think we're all that. We think we're perfect. We think that, you know, we're the best thing since sliced bread or whatever. And then, and then God just shows us a little bit of who we really are. That's kind of what happened right here. And so Isaiah says, hey, well, they saw everything. Well, just to let you know, the day's going to come where they're going to come and they're going to take everything and all these beautiful, you know, descendants of yours, even they're going to go away. And uh, I don't know, Hezekiah says, well, the word is good. At least it's not going to happen in my days. I, I kind of wish I could take a poll right here. How many of you think that was a good response? Some people do. They're like, Hezekiah was honoring God. And, you know, others say, well, that was a little selfish. I don't know for sure. All I know is interesting. When you read the, the book of Isaiah, it's almost like the first 39 chapters were in preparation for Assyria. And then the last 27 chapters were kind of like in preparation for Babylon. And in the end, it didn't matter. Yeah, they would have to face Assyria, and yeah, they would have to face Babylon. But in the end, who wins? God and his people. No matter what you face, sometimes he delivers you from it, sometimes he delivers you in it. And that's what God did with Assyria, and that's what God did with Babylon, and that's what God will do with you. And so for us, it's just it's just faith. You know, I was thinking about how this massive mistake, you know, and we got to learn from that. God, help us to guard our hearts from pride. But going back to the close call, and I, I should, I, I just like to call it uh, a close call and ultimately just saying that God wants us to be close to Him, to know Him, to appreciate life every day. Every single day is a gift from God. Amen. And let's live it for Him.